Okay, so now we're entering into the conclusion, uh, starting from verses 11 to 18. He finally concludes by saying that I am the true apostle. And then from verse 19 to, um, starting from verse 19, it's actually beginning the conclusion. And from the outside looking in, the, the, the outer um, subject of Second Corinthians is who is the true apostle and Paul is proving his, his worth. But, but in the inner sense of Second Corinthians, the inner subject is about reconciliation with Paul. Reconciliation with Paul equals reconciliation with God. And, and that the church must be reconciled with God, must be one with God, that that is our, that that, that relationship must be reconciled in order for the reconciliation between pastors and the saints also to be there. And this reconciliation isn't just simply having a good relationship, but rather being one. So as pastors, the important thing is, is that we live together, yes? And so because we live together, what kind of spirituality they have, you may, uh, you may become friendly, right? Like in, in, in terms of just spending a lot of time, right, and living together. Then of course you might become friendly, you might become close, you may become intimate just out of this human way. But what's important is that this is something that we need to be wary of that that we are not to be intimate in a human way we need to be uh, very objective in our relationships and then also another thing that's dangerous is that it's easy to it's easy to get close to people who are rich it's easy to get to rely on people who are maybe more wealthy who have more money and this is really dangerous and so that's actually something that 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 second Corinthians is teaching that your relationship is not about human relationships it's about being reconciled to God and if you are in that peace with God then you'll be at peace with the church members and so it's not being one in the humanistic way that is a dangerous thing that's something that you need to be wary of and of course that means that you are spiritually lacking some some kind of nourishment from God which means that immorality is going to take a role and so that's something that you really need to be wary of. This the spirit of gossip, the spirit of immorality that can at any time interlope in your relationships. And so it's easy to be objective to someone who you just met. But let's say that you've been with that person for a month, six months, a year, two years, 20 years. And yet, and yet uh, of course you're going to be really close to them. And so it's, it's really hard not to be objective towards them. Do you know how cold I have been? Like even people who've been at my church for 20 years, after they leave, I don't contact them ever again after they leave. Like that's how um, ruthless in, in a sense that I have been. And many people say that, Pastor, you are too cold. No, I'm not being cold. Rather, because God is at the center of my life, this is how God leads me and so why how can I dare put my relationships of man before my relationship with God and so pastors your spirituality really needs to be centered on God and so please in order for you to be centered on God you need to be wary of your relationships with man like you need to be wary of your humanistic relationships 
you need to be clear in your relationship with God first. And so whether it's 10 years, 20 years, if they are not able to uh, be reconciled to God, then you need to be able to either cut them off or, 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 or if God gives the inspiration to wait. And this is really important to you as pastors. And this is where you will experience God's dominion, God's reign. Because if someone didn't enter into God's dominion and yet they are in the church, can you minister to them? Will your ministry even be effective to them? It will not. So when I first began my church, because I, because I was uh, many times fellowshipping with people who were open spiritually, people were thinking that, that I only liked spiritual people. No, that's not the case. It's those people who are spiritually open are the ones who are into my dominion, that's, that are into that dominion of the church. That's, that's what I saw. It's not that they were spiritually open. No, it was that they were under the dominion of the church. And like, this is the same thing with the 12 disciples, right? The 12 disciples weren't all treated the same, right? Jesus took a special interest in the three, James, uh, John, and Peter, right? Why? Because there was, there was something that, 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 that uh, allowed Jesus to be um, more open and more, more um, forward to them. And so that's, it's, that's, just, that's the same thing. It's not, it's not that I'm favoring someone or no. And this may be difficult. I, I understand that. I understand that this is difficult. And that, and that, so that's why we really need to be ruthless against uh, the standards of the world. Because let's say someone gave a thousand dollars for offering, then how precious would that person be? But if, if he is not spiritually upright, then just take that offering because it has been given to God. So take that offering and then kick him out. <laughs> that, that's that's kind of like the ruthlessness that you need to be able to have. And so really your, your discernment, your discernment needs to be clear. Uh, honestly, whether you believe it or not, there was someone who offered $2 million once and I did not receive it. Why do you think I did not receive it? Because, because if I were to receive that money and it was going to, it was going to pollute the holy standard, then I didn't want that. I didn't want that. I didn't want him to feel like he kept the church alive. Because his money is not keeping the church alive. It is God that keeps the church alive. And so, pastors, if this is not clear to you, if this is not strong within you, if you do not have this clear uh, direction then God's dominion over your church will not be evident. It, it will not be evident. And so you, it's when it is evident that, that that standard of God will be clear. Amen? And so this dominion of God has, was really important in this, in, in this conference. And so under that dominion, it's about reconciliation, and that reconciliation is being at peace with God. And then, so anyways, let's, that was up until this point, and now let's look at today's text. And so pastors, when it comes to this, uh, please do not feel that this is too difficult. And also don't think that, oh, it's because Pastor Kim has what he has that he's able to do this. No, if you receive the dominion of God, if you receive the standard of holiness that God has in you in faith, then that will happen. And you'll see that when things like this comes in, that it's polluting the church, it's polluting the holiness. And so you need to be spiritually wary, spiritually alert. And almost, 
all, whenever I see that, 99%, I see that uh, that person is going to leave. And I'll, I'll say that to my wife, like, oh, this person is going to end up leaving eventually. And 99%, that person leaves. And, and I don't do this before, but I used to say a long time ago at our church, that do you think your name is written in our register with a pencil or with a pen because if you are written with a pencil though your name is recorded in the list you are not yet in the church because it's when your name is written with the pen that's when you are in the church because pencil can be erased at any time right and so what is the church? The church needs to give their lives for purity. The church needs to give their lives for holiness. That's what it is. Look, it's not because I'm special. It's not because I have this, uh, I'm particular. No. When you see what the church is, when you see the essence of the church, that the essence of the church is holiness, then how can you dare pollute it when this church has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ? And so... And so if you are relaxed in these kinds of standards, then it's better not to be a pastor. Because, because then that's no longer a, a church, but now it's, just simply, uh, now it's just simply a pyramid scheme. And you know what a pyramid scheme is, right? If you, if you, if you, if you just build up a pyramid scheme, you're going to get crushed by that pyramid, right? That's, that's what it, all it is. That's all that church becomes if, if, if you don't have that standard of holiness. It's no longer church. And right now my heart is breaking because, because today is the last day. And on this last day, I have to tell you these hard words. And so look, your spirituality as pastors... You need to be. You need to keep far humanism and worldly standard Babylon. Keep that far away from you, because because, whole, because to the church holiness is everything. Amen. And so you look nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be scared. I'm just telling you the overall picture of Second Corinthians. And so verse 11. This, and now he's talking about his evidence as an apostle. So from verse 11 to 18, he's defending himself that I am the true apostle. And now he's telling of his evidence. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all in our... Okay, commended by you. And then so... Up until this point, Paul has been mocking them, right? And, ha and has been really cruel to them. And, and yet he's continuing in that nuance. So I've been a fool. You forced me to it, right? He's, why is he calling himself a fool? Because he's boasting. And so he's trying to refine that humility. And you forced me to it. You forced me to boast, right? You forced me to be a fool. And, but is Paul someone who is going to be forced to do something? No. But the nuance here is that because of how immature they were, he, he had to resort to this, this measure. That's why. Because he knew that if not, they would continue on their path to destruction. And so, because the church was uh, heading to doom, I had to do it. And so... So there... And so, uh, for, for I ought had to have been commended by you, right? Why? Because, because uh, in the heart of God, when they are with God, what would they be? They would be filled with that boast of God. They would be filled with that 
joy of God. And think about Paul, how much effort he spent for the Corinthians. He spent, he sent four letters. There's no other church in in the early church that had that received this much attention from Paul. And think about it. Think about how expensive it is even to write a letter at that time. Ink was not cheap. Paper was not cheap. And then, and then on top of that, whenever Paul would write these letters, it was usually in between ministries, right? And. And, and so when was the times that he could rest? Because honestly, he didn't have time to rest. It was when he was in prison. So it was always whenever he was in prison that he would, he would write these letters. And, and yet he's, he, he's taking his time out in prison to write these kinds of letters. And so Paul is saying that because I've done all of this out of love, you should have commended me. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. And so, so he's not trying to drag the 12 apostles down, but rather these, these, these critics of his, these, these rebels, they, they found their identity at the 12 uh, apostles. And so what, so what he's trying to do is he's not trying to bring those 12 apostles down, but rather he's trying to separate their identity from, from these critics. And so it's because of this that Paul ha- had this burden because, because he, he, he's not trying to drag those 12 apostles down. And so, like it says in Proverbs, is don't don't uh, proclaim the secrets of of your counsel out in the streets, right? And and so, Paul didn't want to take the weaknesses of other apostles to try to lift himself up. And he knows that, but the reason why he can't help but do this is because this isn't an issue about personal reputation, but about the church. And so look at how important the church is. And Paul knew how important the church is. And so in, to, in his life, God was everything, right? And because God was everything to him, he knew how holy the church had to be, which is what? Which is God's representative on this earth. And so, of course, he's going to give his life for that holiness. And his focus is not on relationship. His focus is not on people. If this church was an organization of the world, then it'd be great to have as many people as you could, right? But it's not. It's the church of God. Then it needs to be according to God's standard, according to the people that God wants about bringing about the kingdom of heaven. And if that's not the case, then can you say that that is the kingdom of heaven? No, it can't. It doesn't matter how good that pastor is. It doesn't matter how, how, how respectful he may be. It doesn't matter how loving he may be. At any time, the, the world, that the, the world will, can cover that church over with darkness. And so if it's not in the standard of God, if it's not according to the people that God has called, then, then, that, then that cannot be the church. And so what is the church? The church at any time, if God says you, um, you die for the church, then you need to die. You give everything to the church. You need to give. That is the church. And so this spiritual priority needs to be placed in, in your hearts as pastors. And as pastors, you need to be able to see that. And I have that priority that... that that person can move freely in the kingdom of heaven and that person may not. 
And there's people in our church who, who would even get divorced to follow the church, and and that's that's the that's the strength of the calling of the church over them. And th- this sh- shouldn't be looked as like uh, special. It should not looked as extreme. It should be looked as normal. And so there is this priority list. This this one, two, three, four. This level who who can who can move at any time when God calls. And so for this, all the church members needs to be uh, reckoned according to God's holiness. If not, then this simply becomes a pyramid scheme. This simply becomes an organization. And I don't know how you feel about that, but if you become a pyramid scheme, then do you want to be the pastor of that church that is simply a pyramid scheme? Verse 12. So what is the evidence of an apostle? The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And so this evidence of this apostleship, as he said earlier, is that this apostolic authority is being made manifest. And so isn't that the... So so that's actually not evidence of his apostleship. Rather, these are all things that can happen because you have met with Jesus Christ. What is the evidence of Jesus being the Messiah? Is it power? Is it signs and wonders? Is it? No, it's not. The Messiah's evidence, the evidence of the Messiah is not power and works. It is not the evidence. What is the evidence of the Messiah? Is what, that he died on the cross. So if you don't receive that cross, you cannot receive Jesus as your Messiah. And so these false prophets have been saying, have been preaching a gospel of victory, and they have failed to acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. And so in John three, we see the wedding at Cana. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, says, says that, uh, says that the wine, the wine has, uh, the wine has run out. And what does Jesus? How does Jesus answer his own mother? He says, "Woman, why do you involve me?" And he, why does he say that? Is he disrespectful? No. What he's saying is that because his time has not yet come, his time has not yet come. He has no power. He cannot use his power. That's what he's saying. He's saying that unless, unless he goes through the cross, that's when he his time is now is now acknowledged as Messiah. But many people, we, it's easy for us to ignore the cross and to just look straight to the power. For example, let's look at the spiritual gift of healing. Healing may happen without the cross. It can happen. But what is the problem with that? Is that when you minister and there's healing and you don't go through the cross, then ultimately what you are doing is you're polluting yourself. You are adulterating yourself. Because what is the going through the cross? It is dying to yourself. It is giving up on yourself and receiving the death of Jesus Christ and letting the life of Jesus Christ to flow through you. And so without this and there's healing, then ultimately you're 
you are dying to this aspect and so that's the problem that is the danger and so in everything that you do you need to go through the cross without the cross without the cross there is no messiah in your life so paul is saying the same thing so when he says with utmost patience what is this patience this patience is evidence of going through the cross because going through the cross requires what requires great patience so you need to wait for the Messiah. That's what this is talking about. You need to wait for God and wait for God to make things happen. What is a symbol of the cross? It is patience. And then after that it says, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And so these things are not separate categories, but rather these things are all connected to patience. Patience with signs, patience and wonders, patience and mighty works. That means that all three of these things went through the cross. All three of these things waited for the Holy Spirit, waiting for the Holy Spirit to move, waiting for the Holy Spirit to act, waiting for what the Holy Spirit desired. Okay. You would see this when you look at the Greek. The Greek is interpreted in this way. And so when many pastors, they become pastors. If you don't wait for the church, if you don't wait for God, that is a critical blow. Most important uh, element to your spirituality is patience, right? Because, because what is the foundation of our of our of our belief? It's is faith. And what is faith? Faith is patience. Faith is waiting for God. And so this is a really important element as in your pastor ministry. And so, pastors, if you don't wait, if you're not patient, it may may seem uh, more efficient. But but you need to wait. Waiting for God is key. Look, I've been waiting for 20 years for us to build a building. And so, and yet, and yet, look at the patience because I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. And so, if you summarize uh, the philosophy of the Bible, it could be what? It could be wait. Waiting is waiting for. The word of God, waiting for the word of God. Even look at David in all of his psalms as he's going into the caves, hiding from Saul. What what characterized his life is he waited for God. He waited for God. And so, who is the one who is has good faith? It is the one who has great endurance, the one who has great patience, the one who waits for God. How long must I wait? I don't know, but we wait. We wait. And so this patience isn't waiting for uh, a bus to arrive at the stop. No, it's waiting for your 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 beauty to be revealed. As, as it says that suffering causes, uh, suffering leads to perseverance, perseverance leads to faith, faith leads to glory, right? And so, and so we need to have great endurance. So those who live forever, what could they not wait for, right? And so I pray that you would wait, amen? So now verse 13 to 18, he talks about his fellow workers. What he say? For in what wonder, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? So he's talking about this uh, offering, and he says, apart from not receiving your offering, your support for me, that I did not, I did not change, do anything different from the other churches. 
And so as much as he's loved uh, the other churches, he's loved the Corinthians. Think about it. He's been brought to shame in front of these Corinthians, right? These Corinthians brought him to shame, and yet he loved them the same. Why? Because they are the church. Because God loves his church. He loves them. So with the same love, with the same love of God for His church, He loved them. The only difference was that He did not accept their charity. And But this wasn't because He hated them, but because He loved them. And so from this for this reason, charity, the charity of the church, the offering of the church, it is not a salary. The pastor's charity, uh, well, I don't know what you call it, but it's not his wages. What is it called? Salary? Salary? Honorarium? Honorarium? If I say honorarium, do you understand? Honorarium? Yeah? Okay. So, you know, like the pastor's wages. <laughs> but it's not wages. You know, like... So honorarium, honorarium. Uh, so in summary, a pastor's honorarium is not his salary. He can receive it, he may not receive it. It's, it's not, it's not um, a fixed salary, right? And so, you know, it's about freedom, freedom. Like all that's left is love. And so, so, you know, ever since I started this church, I never demanded things from my church members. It's about love. It's about love. Even now, like I don't tell them to do this, do that. Like I, 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 I give them the word, and they receive. And so. And so everything, every gift that you have received throughout this week, I did not command any of them to do it. Now, there are a couple things that, that I asked them to do. But for the most part, like, it was all in love. It was all in their volunteer. Did you not see the, the decoration? They changed the decoration on the last day. And so the standard of love needs to be established in the church. Now, at times, of course, we need this legalistic framework as we, as we establish our churches. But we shouldn't keep that legalistic framework. It needs to continually grow into that, 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 that standard of love. There is a time for that legalism, and it's necessary, but it should not be there throughout eternity, right? So there are times where I command them to make offerings and I command them to give things. And, and there are times that I do that, right? And so when it comes to the church, it's about the dominion of God's love. It's not about us lording over our church members. And so that's why the danger of legalism is that you keep making uh, your members into this, into this automatic beings right that that move according to your words that's not what we need to do what we need to do is make them be uh, active not passive but legalism tends to make your church members be passive so that's the word that i was looking for passive passive but they need to be active into the church right so so that's why the standard of love is important
and and so that standard of love comes through you allowing God to reign and having dominion is having faith in God's dominion for the church and so so for what were you less favored than the rest of the churches except that I myself did not burden you forgive me this wrong he's kind of like mocking them right because it's foolish to say that this is foolishness to say that this is not fair right and so moving on verse 14 here for the third time I'm ready to come to you so again again I'm not going to burden you with this with this uh, honorarium and what is he saying he's saying that the Corinthians are have yet to mature here for the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours but you and so again it's their souls it's their it's their souls that he wants not their money He's not looking for the material things. Now, if they were mature and when they offer in joy, then he would receive in joy. And so again, Paul is emphasizing not works, but grace. And so as this church grows and grows, the church should not uh, be based on the works. If, the, if it is based on the works, then the church will not grow. And so when you demand tithes, of course, tithes will begins by, start, by a tenth. But, but that tithe doesn't have to be a tenth. It's not limited to a tenth, right? Right. It can always move based on inspiration. It could be a twentieth. It could be, it could be a, a fifth. It could be half. It could be a third. It could be anything. And so, according to their free will, according to their uh, love of God, and so. So whatever ple- is pleasing to God. It's the same thing with prayer, right? Sometimes praying, you can pray 20, 20 minutes. Sometimes you can pray two hours. Sometimes you can pray all day long. And so what's important is not establishing the rule set for that church to follow, but rather them growing in that love so that they can offer in their free will to God whatever God places in their heart. That's what's important. And so... Uh, true faith comes in that free will grows in that glory and the freedom of God. And so pastors, as you train your members, you need to understand that their growth and maturity is, is evident by this. This is one aspect of their growth, okay? And so verse 15. Uh, and so uh, we going back to verse 14 uh, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents but parents for their children again he's showing that that fundamental relationship between him and the church members is that he is the parent and they are the children and and then going beyond this uh, parental relationship he they also have the relationship of being being um, a matchmaker right and so verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And so because he loves the church, because he loves their souls, he serves them free willingly and to the point that he's willing to be spent and spend not even his life. And so whether you are aware of it or not, if the if the truth is being preached from your lips, then your life is also going out. Whether you're aware of it or not. Why? Because what is the gospel? The gospel is about the life and death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you preach the gospel, then that life is also coming out. Because what is when you receive the gospel, what is it? You die with Jesus Christ. And so you are giving your life. And so 
You know, when a mother gives birth to a baby and she breastfeeds that baby, she's not giving the baby just milk. She's giving the baby life, right? That and so. So when the mother breastfeeds, she's not just giving milk, she's giving her blood, her life, right? And so when you give the gospel, you are giving life. And so what does that, when that gospel comes out without life, when there's no life in the gospel, what is being, what is being preached, what is going out, it's just information. It's just information. And so it's like saying, it's like saying um, maize. But, but you're not actually giving maize, you're just showing them maize. And so that's, that's what it is when you preach the gospel without life. So verse 16, no, 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 no. Finishing verse 15, okay, verse 16. Okay, and so I will be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I did myself did not burden... Oh, no, 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 so verse 15. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And so again, he's comparing... These these standards that 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 the Corinthians are applying into into in a false way, and so Paul is saying that this is wrong. What you are doing is wrong, and he's pointing out the fallacy. And so look, this is a part of things that that saint your church members will not be able to follow your spiritual scale. And so there was a time at our church that that the church members in our my church thought that I didn't have love. But nowadays, the church members are starting to say that pastor really had a lot of love. And it's not that my love has changed. It's not that my action towards them has changed. No, it's just that, it's just that they are now growing to that love. I love them the same way in the past, and I love them the same way now. Now, of course, my, my, the level of my holiness has changed, has grown. But I've been loving them the same way. And it's only now that the saints are starting to realize that pastor truly loves me. And so they work, they try hard to try to, to express their love for me. And so, but when it comes to church as, as a pastor, your members aren't always going to be able to receive your intention, your heart. But do not be discouraged by that. Do not be dismayed by that. As you look at your child, you need to understand that in their immaturity, they may not be able to receive your scale. They may not be able to receive your intentions. But you're not going to be dismayed at your child for not receiving that, right? You wait for that child to mature. And so the saints... Uh, they may not be able to, your church members may not be able to receive your love. And, 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 but you need to be able to wait. And so verse 16. Uh, but granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. And so this burden, again, is talking about that honorarium. And even though I didn't receive that honorarium, they're saying that by some kind of deceit, I, I took advantage of you. Basically saying that, you know, even though he didn't receive this honorarium, he, he took something from them that made them suffer loss. So look, the devil... The devil is willing to make up any lie in order to kill the church, in order to kill the pastor. And so, and so pastors, do not be so concerned with what your church members say regarding you. Okay, don't allow these outside factors to, 
to cloud your judgment. Don't try to convince your church members by reacting to outside uh, circumstances, to outward appearances. Because all of these things, God is going to adjust. God is going to move around, whether he has to take someone away from your church or maybe judge someone in your church or, or, or bring them to repentance. We don't know how God is going to move, but don't let their, their, their uh, actions to, to concern you, to, to deeply discourage you or, or cause you to fall into dismay. Okay? Uh, back in the day, um, you know, there are, are these, um, what's it called, bad reports on the internet regarding me. And there's also people out there who are saying bad things about me. I'm not so concerned. I remember one time a lawyer came to me and asked if I wanted to sue them for libel. I don't care. I don't care. I don't want to sue them. Because honestly, that... I actually rejoiced in that, the fact that there were these kinds of people because ultimately they created this filter that, that, that the people who came to our church had to pass through. And honestly, all the uh, gospel movements throughout history have always been accused of heresy, right? And so it's when we go up to heaven that we, re we will see who is real and who is not. But anyways, and so verse uh, 18, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? No, he didn't, right? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? So look, look at how Paul praises his fellow workers, saying that the same spirit moved together, that they took the same steps. And so the color of the Holy Spirit moving, not only that, but all, even the level, the power that was being manifested, his fellow workers, his followers could manifest the same thing. That gave Paul the utmost confidence. And then so what does that mean? That, that means that their fellow workers have seen the same glory that Paul seen. That, that, that they, they receive the same spirit. And so you as my followers need to have the same spirit, the same, same steps. And so although I am your leader, because I am the leader, it's not that, oh, he's teaching me everything, he does everything. No. Eventually there comes a time where you need to take the same steps, where you need to walk with me. And so it's no longer me who's always leading these conferences, but you need to be able to do the same thing because you receive the same grace, the same spirit. Then what does that mean? That you need to have that same level of standard of holiness. You need to have that same standard of, of, of the glory. And honestly, I thought that it would only take 10 years when I started Zoom ministry, that after 10 years that there would be someone who could walk with me. That was my expectation. But after 10 years, another 10 years, and it's still yet uh, very hazy. And so I'm not saying this to, 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 to discourage you. But, but, but I'm just talking about, about what, what my expectations were. But at the same time, I understand. I understand because even these, these associate pastors of mine who are with me for 24 hours a day, right? They, it's difficult for them to follow after me. And so how much more difficult would it be for you when you meet me maybe two, three, four times a year? 
And so, so I understand. I, I, I want to meet with you more and more and more. But, but I, I know that that's not easy, not only for me, but also for you. You spending a week here, uh, it, it's not easy. I understand. But let's gather often, amen? Let's gather as often as we can. But the principle is that we are in the same spirit and we are in, taking the same steps. And so the power that is made manifest in Paul, the color, the, the, the level, the scale, the process, all of these things was the same to the followers. And then, so not only the same spirit, but the same steps. And so he's talking, as he said in Galatians, when you walk by the spirit, that you are that you need to be able to walk with the Spirit. What does that mean? That, that they don't have their own strength and they are living by the Spirit, meaning that they are being led by the Holy Spirit, which means that they don't have their own will, that they don't have their own will to reject the will of the Holy Spirit and then also being in step with the Spirit, which means talking about the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to follow after His steps, right? And that state was the state that characterized all of the fellow workers of Paul. And so these great followers of Paul are being testified to here. And I believe that this, these kinds of same followers will happen in Zoe ministry. Amen. And I believe that this will be possible. And I believe powerfully that you will also be my fellow workers. Amen. And this is God's will. And, and, and this is God's purpose for this gathering. Amen. And so I'm going to send some of the associate pastors out to these branch campuses for, to, to train. And let's see how much they move in the same spirit. And uh, so he's talking about how he's sending these guys out to be branch churches. Uh, anyways. So starting from verse 19, let's, let's, let's examine. And in 19, it starts the next section. And then so finally from verse 19 he starts beginning the conclusion. So from verse 19 to 22 or 21, 21 he talks about he, he's, he's asking the Corinthians to repent once again of these remaining uh, sins and then he gives final warning starting in chapter 13 to his critics. And so let's look at first his, his call to repentance to those who have turned to all the community, to all the community, to once again stand in faith, to check your faith. And so verse 19 to 21, this, command, this call to repentance. So verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? And so he wrote this letter, and as he was writing this letter, Paul was sending his followers, and, and so he's not sure how they're going to respond. He, he, he's, he thinks that maybe that they're responding only by thinking that they're just trying to defend themselves. No, it's not. I'm not trying to defend myself. It's not for myself that I'm defending my ministry. It's for God. And so I'm not speaking for myself before God. And that's what Paul's continually been saying throughout 2 Corinthians. Before God. Where am I? I am someone who is before God. And so that's something that you need to check every single day of your life. Is are you before God? And if you are before God, what does that mean? That means that you can draw near to God. That means you can be before His presence. What does that mean? That means that you are maintaining the new self. And if you are maintaining the new self, that means that you are rec receiving the Spirit, receiving the new self, constantly being dead to the old self. 
And so we need to be able to respond in the new self in all things. Let's say someone cursed me, then if I respond in the new self, then I'm no, I don't, I don't hate that person, but but letting the temple, the mechanisms of the temple move inside of me, and so whether forgiveness or or loving, whatever it may be. So as long as this character is inside of me, I will always be uh, directed towards God. And as you maintain that direction towards God, you will be able to embody the holiness and embody uh, more and more of 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 that of, of being before God. And so if you are before God, what else is inside that? You are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, what does that mean? That means Christ is well is inviting you and being able drawing you before the presence of God. And so and so Jesus Christ becomes our great advocate and in, as our advocate he brings us to the presence of God as it says in Hebrews and also in Romans 8 right that 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 Jesus uh, invites us and that he 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 is our advocate before the throne of God and so that he guarantees us before God at all times through what through the power of the holy blood of Jesus Christ and this is how important that blood is it's not because I did something it's not because I am something it's not because I achieved something no but because that blood guarantees that holiness because that blood guarantees my right and so that's how important that blood is and so let us let us rely on that blood at all times to be able to draw near to God before all times and so what does it mean if we are before God, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, is that it's the gospel, right? The gospel, which is the gospel is the light that shines the, the knowledge of the glory of God. And so as you keep meeting with him, as you keep looking towards him, you become more and more like him. And so the crown prince, the crown prince needs to meet with who in order to become more and more like the king? Is, is He needs to continue meeting with the king. And by continually meeting with the king, he learns how to have dominion over his kingdom. And so we need to continually meet with God. We need to continually stand before God. Amen. And so it, how can we stand before God is because we are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, that means inside of me is the new self. And when the new self is inside of me, it means that the Christ is my advocate leading me before God. And he is the spirit, his spirit within me is constantly moving inside of me, actively moving inside of me to bring me before the presence of God, always speaking a good word for me, always advocating for me and bringing me before God. And so that's what that spirit is always doing. And so the triune God, as he moves inside of me, that, that, that dynamic moving inside of me is constantly leading me before him. And so check inside of you. Is that spirit moving inside of you? Is the blood moving inside of you? Is the word moving inside of you? And so because God is inside of you, because you are standing before God, you are not going to sin, right? Because you are standing before God, you are not just going to live however you want. Because you are standing before God, you are not going to live out of your own means, right? You're going to live by what God gives. People who stand before God, they live their life by receiving what God gives. And so the reason why God calls you is not just simply so that you can, He can... He can see you prostrate before you. No, it's so that He can give you what He wants to give you. Right? The time we spend before Him is time receiving from Him, receiving what He gives, right? And so when we live by what He gives, that's when our life will unfold. Amen? And so this is really important. And so, have you... Um, but... 
But have you been thinking that we've been defending ourselves to you? It isn't the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, upbuilding. And so building is being built, right? And, and it's all for that building up. And so verse 20. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And so what does Paul wish for? He wishes for them to be reconciled to God, reconciled with Paul. And so all the critics, all the rebels to, to once again either repent or be kicked out. And so that the Corinthian church will once again acknowledge Paul as their as this spiritual father. But if that doesn't happen, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. Then what's going to happen? That he's going to excommunicate them. He's going to kick them out. But he does not wish for that. That's not what Paul wishes for. He doesn't want to use his apostolic authority. That is his last resort. And he wants them to acknowledge that him. Uh, uh, he wants them to acknowledge him as their father and welcome him as their father. And so, from the outside looking in, you may think that I like to kick out my church members. But I wait, I wait for a long time. I wait 10 years, 20 years. I don't make that decision on a whim. I wait and wait and not just wait, but I'm praying for them. And in that process, it's because that process is there that I can't help but kick them out. And most of the time, I don't kick them out first. I don't say get out. They come to me and say that they need to leave. And so, please, do not have that misconception. I am not a pastor who enjoys kicking people out. Okay, but there's no reason for us to remain together if we are simply rotting away together, right? And I'm not someone who's just, just kicking people out on a whim. I go through this long process with God, fighting through this fellowship, and, on, and when I acknowledge that they are dead to this relationship, that's why I kick them out. It's the same thing with Paul. Paul doesn't want to excommunicate, but when he excommunicates, it's because that that relationship is dead now. And so there is this patience, there is this endurance, this long waiting. And, and so, but now that he can no longer wait because they are dead, right? And so... And so they need to be, and so Paul needs to uh, take this last resort. But the problem is, is, is that look at how the Corinthians reacted. This is the uh, package of evil wickedness that you can see in, in all of Paul's letters is that these packages is what? That there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And so if there's quarreling, that means there's jealousy. If there's jealousy, that means there's anger. If there's anger, there's hostility amongst themselves. This is all one package. And so if a church has a division, all of these things are there as well. And so Paul will avail his apostolic authority, right, if they don't repent. But the fear that Paul has is that even if he uses this apostolic authority, these evils, these wickeds will be revealed and, he's, and if they are revealed, will this church stand? Will this church be able to be rebuilt? Will this church be able to restore it? 
He's seeing that these spirits are have dominion over the church in Corinth. And, and these are things that he pointed out even in 1 Corinthians. So that's his fear here. That's what he means when he says, what I fear. And even still, even still, as the church of God, Paul can't help uh, to, to bring this up. Even though he fears this, even though he fears this, this is his last resort because they are the church of God. They cannot stand if they are continuing in these ways. And so, so though he fears that the church will be broken down if all of these things are revealed, even to the point where, he, where the church has to be broken down, he has to make these things revealed because, because, because this church cannot stand. Look, look at this church. This church is a church that is rich. This is a church that has all the material goods. And yet Paul cannot allow this church to stand if this church uh, cannot stand in holiness. Because even though they may have all the money in the world, if they do not have holiness, they are not the church of God. And so look at the perspective. Look at the difference of perspective that the church of this day has and Paul has. Why is holiness so important? Because the holiness is the essence of the church. Because it's the essence of the church. That's why the holiness is everything. The essence of the church is not their sign. It's not the cross that's on top of the building. No. What is ecclesia? Ecclesia is a gathering of holy beings. And so you cannot remove holiness out of the equation. And yet if they remove that holiness, then that's why Paul has to use his apostolic authority to remove it. And so, look... These are things that must not be in the church. Especially in our church, I say, don't allow there to be quarreling. Don't allow there to be quarreling. If there, don't allow quarreling. And like, for example, there should not be debate in the church. Do you know why? Because debate is actually a forum that was opened by democracy. Not, But the church is not a democracy. The church is a theocracy, right? God reigns over the church. And so it's not about debate. The truth is established. And if the truth is established, then in that truth, everyone should submit. And so look at our General Assembly. At the end of the year... We just show the reports of the finances throughout that year. And then, hallelujah. And then uh, this year, these are the elders. Hallelujah. This year, this are the deacons. Hallelujah. And it just ends. And so our, our general assembly ends after, in 30 minutes. But look at all the churches in this day and age. right? They pray for 10 minutes in, in a worship. But then their general assembly takes two, three days. Right? Because, because when a... Because when a leader is established, it's not, it's not the responsibility of the church members to establish the leaders. It is the head pastor's responsibility to establish leaders, right? Now, when I ask, when I ask them to, uh, to uh, voice their disapproval if they disapprove of an elder or deacon that I establish, I'm not asking them so that they can disapprove. I'm asking them to check who, who, right? Right? Because e even if they do disapprove, it's not as if I'm going to listen to them. No. And so that's how the church is supposed to move. And so look, I'm not talking about the outward appearance. I'm not talking about the structures. I'm not talking about these things. Don't focus on these outward appearances. I'm talking about how God reigns. God's dominion. And so... 
So don't waste your energy in things that don't need your energy, right? All you need is commitment and offering, right? And through that commitment and offering, that that's where they will be blessed by God. If you keep trying to make your church members decide other things, determine other things, and that that's going to cause problems. Okay, all the other uh, decisions needs to be in your hands, right? Don't don't give the decisions to the church members because what they what all they need is commitment and offering, devotion, right? The important thing is is that the church members recognize that when you make a decision, you're not making a decision for personal gain. You're not making a decision for for certain people only. You're making a decision for the blessing of God to fill the church, right? That's what it's about. Church is about dominion. It's not about debate. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I don't allow debate. Okay, you can you can discuss things. But, but it's not... But, you know, this debate is... It should not be the focus. It should not be the emphasis. You do it because, let's say, that God requires it. But, but that should not be the basis. It should not be the emphasis. Okay, and look, when I reign this church over this church, it's not the, because I want this way. It's not because I want it to be this way. No, God leads me this way. And so whenever people ask why, 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 that's the problem, okay? And so when someone asks why and you answer their why, do you think that it's going to end there? No, they're going to ask why again, why again, why again. And whenever that why happens, it causes more division, more division. And so everything needs to be accepted in faith. That should be the principle of the church. So I'm not saying don't debate, but what I'm saying is look at what the principle is. The principle is faith, not debate. And so if you receive it in faith, then that's where it would end. But if you, if you receive the principle of debate, then it's all about all oh, you have to explain and explain and explain and explain. And even though you explain, they're not going to be satisfied with your explanation. And so look, humanism says this, that you need explanation, that explanation is convincing people so that, they can, so that you can bring about participation, thinking that that participation will cause happiness. No, that is the world's perspective. What is participation? Participation is being under the dominion of God. If you are outside of that dominion, no matter how much people try to convince you, you will not participate. That's why this dominion is so important. And so pray, pastors, pray. I, I know some of you are doing it. Some of you are unable to. But so that's why you need to pray and wrestle with it. Wrestle with it. Pray and so that you can pastor in a way according to the kingdom of heaven. That, and so how should you pray? You should pray that the kingdom of heaven will come upon your church. That God's reign would, would reign supreme in your church. Amen? And so let's continue. Verse 20. Oh, we did verse 20. And so... So we talked about quarreling, jealousy. This is all one package. Verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. So why does he say this? Because Paul has this clear faith. It is this, this, this solid faith that God will reveal his authority through Paul. And yet, 
And yet, why does Paul say that he fears this? It's not because he doubts that faith. It's because that decision is not up to him. And so that's why Paul says that. Paul is ultimately confessing that this isn't my decision. It's not up to me. That the Holy Spirit may uh, break down this church and close the doors. But that's not my decision. That's what Paul is saying here. And that's why he's saying this, that, that God may humble me before you. Because apostolic authority is excommunication, but not just excommunication, but it's also people might die, right? And that's the confidence that Paul has, that if I pray, those who rebel against me, that God may take their lives. That that's the curse, the ultimate curse, right? And then also, and that's the authority he has as an apostle. And because he has confidence in this, he knows that God gives it to him. He, that waiting for God to 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 uh, act, just as Ananias and Sapphira died before Peter, right? That was the authority that the, that the church had. And so this fear, this fear isn't fear like trembling fear, but no, it's just this fear that 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 the fear of God, this this fear of the church. And so this fear of God and the fear of the church should be in the same context. And so of course your church members should love the church, but another, the other side of that coin is fear. So the church members should love the church, but they should not take belittle the church. They should not treat the church lightly. The church should always be loved, but at the same time should also be held in reverent fear. And so your church members' relationship to you should, of course, be intimacy and love. But at the same time, they should also have this fear, this reverent fear, reverent fear of the words that you proclaim, reverent fear of the words that you may say. And this isn't out of your will. It's not you forcing them to feel that way. No, but when God's reign flows through you, that happens. And so whether they are newborn baby or, or, or however old they may be, none of them belittle me. None of them look down upon me. None of them mock down upon me. It's not because I tried to establish this kind of authority. No, because God's reign is over me and that reign covers over the church. And so that's why. And so this must be clear in you as well. And so this apostolic authority is not something to be taken lightly, that whatever Paul determines, that, that God will follow through. And so because he knows that 100% that his prayer to God will be answered, that's why he fears. And so, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. And so Paul is saying that he has to avail his apostolic authority, but he's fearing that because if he does avail it, that he that some people may be brought to death, some people may be kicked out, or even the doors of the church may be closed. But that's not up to him. It's not Paul's decision. And so... And so Paul is afraid that, that, that if they do not repent, that ultimately that this is the result. And so he hopes that they repent, but because he's not sure. And so, and so look at how dangerous the spirit of wickedness is, is that, is that if you look at history of the early church, the church in Corinth, even up until AD 140, where, where, where the records exist, it shows that the, this church of Corinth was still continually fighting amongst themselves, constantly having this issue of immorality. 
And so it's the same thing to your church. No matter what spirit is affecting you, don't don't compromise with that spirit for it to lay roots. If it lay roots, it becomes dangerous. And so as we've been fighting against the spirit of Antichrist, we were unaware of the other spirits that were laying roots. And so right now we're trying to deal with those spirits. So don't allow spirits to lay roots because when it lays roots, it becomes difficult. When you look at the book of Ezra, right? In Ezra, there is the, the revival that happens at the water gate, right? In BC 404, 434. But, but this revival comes. And in that revival, all the men who have married Gentile women, they kick they, they chase away those women, their wives, and their children. Is that an easy thing to do? It's not easy, right? It's not an easy thing to do, right? For example, let's say, let's say Yang Shinung got married to a Pakistani woman. Let's just say, just for an example, got married to a Pakistani woman. And she lived with, he lived with her for 10 years, even though she was wrong right Uncle- and, 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 and after 10 years do you think that he's going to be able to chase her out because she is foreign right that's not easy right that's hard and so it's when revival comes that they can make that decision to cut off that kind of sin but, but if you allow that sin to grow and take root it's not an easy thing to deal with So that's the reason why, again, that we need to keep putting the flesh to death every day. Because because if you allow that flesh to grow and abound within you, it becomes this fortress. And so you end up just living with it. Because it becomes so part of your character, you're afraid to let it go. Around seven, when my son, my firstborn son was seven years old, that's when we got rid of our television set. And every day he was so angry that we got rid of the television set. That's how hard it is to get rid of that evil. If you allow it to become a great tree inside of you, if you allow it to take root inside of you, that's difficult. And so, you know, in organized crime, if you want to leave the gate, leave the gang, Do you know what you had to do? The ritual you had to do was you had to take this large nail clipper and cut off all the skin of your knuckle in order to get out of the gang in Korea. And so that's why this is torture, right? Every single knuckle had to be stripped of its skin through a nail clipper. And if you want to do that, that takes a lot of will. That takes a lot of strength. And so most people just live as gangsters. And so in these end times, when you see the world accept the Antichrist, they can't help but accept the Antichrist because of how strong the flesh has taken hold of them, how that root has taken hold of them. That's why it's so important for the church to maintain holiness. Amen. And so finally, we're almost finished. Chapter 13, verses 1, 2. So we want to end as we want to end soon. Right. And so we will be ending soon so that you can enjoy your lunch. Enjoy your lunch and also enjoy the time to rest. So verse 13, now he's giving his final warning. He's not, this is not a warning to those who are standing against his critics or standing with his critics, but the critics themselves. And so this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so 
Paul is not excommunicating them the very first time. No, he's continually sending them people. He sent Timothy, he sent Titus twice. And so, so he has filled every uh, requirement of the law, right? In Matthew 18, it says that send one person, and if one person warns it doesn't listen to him, then sends two people, then sends three people, and then sends the church, right? And so that's kind of the principle that's being that's being attested to here, that, that this is the third time I'm coming to you, and every church must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so now that if I come to you and I find the same sin, then I'm going to excommunicate you. And so... And so this is all possible to Paul. He has this confidence. Why? Because he understands his calling to God. He understands that God has called him to this church. God has set him over this church. And so it doesn't matter if you're an apostle. It doesn't matter if you're a prophet. Because God has entrusted this church to me. I have the authority to cast you out. And so, and so pastors, be firm and secure in, in that authority that you have. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is all about what? It's not about listening to all these people's voices. It's not about it's not about factoring in their counsel, this counsel, that counsel. No, it's about listening to the counsel of God and only the counsel of God. You think that by allowing other people to participate, to counsel you, that, that you're helping them. But no, the kingdom of heaven has life when God flows. And so, and so don't concern yourself with what people say about you. Like in your church, maybe, maybe, they'll, maybe they're saying things like, oh, this pastor is better, that pastor is better. That's not important. What is important is who has called you. Is it God? Then be confident in that. Be confident in that. If God has established you over that church, then no one can take that from you. And so this is something that we need to be free to, right? Not, not, not. Tying ourselves to the concerns of other people. Now, verse 2 I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. It seems like we're watching a Chinese revenge movie, right? If you look at Chinese revenge movies, oh, you, you always see the hero say this that I will be back, <laughs> that I will come back. And so, but this is not a Chinese revenge movie, but it's testifying of, of, of how much patience Paul had, how Paul waited for them. Paul waited for them until the very end, until the very end. And so don't think that you have to carry them all until the very end. It's, it's about waiting for God's dominion to be revealed. Because ultimately, if you are under God's dominion, then what is going to be your character? It's going to be submission and obedience, right? And so, and so if they keep rebelling against that submission and obedience, then there will come a time where you have to, uh, the word he used was put to death that, that, that church member. Because if you don't put that, the, the, uh, that church member to death, then you will die and also the church will die. And so do not tolerate, do not compromise with that uh, beyond measure. Like, of course you wait, but, but when God's decision comes, um, if, because His dominion is there, there will have to come a folding, either folding into death or folding into submission. 
And as long as that church is filled with holiness, as long as that church is continually growing in that holiness, then, then uh, this standard will become more and more evident. And so if for that holiness, that standard of holiness to be there, pastors don't have uh, humanistic relationships. It's about spiritual relationship. It's about being in God, allowing God to have dominion. When God's dominion is established, then that's when you will see that this is truly a church of God. And that is what's important. When that, this is the church of God, that's that authority. And so, pastors, let us pray.